All right, so we're going to be in the book called Romans. Please turn to Romans chapter 11 if you're not there already. Romans chapter 11. What we're going to do is we're going to begin by reading the whole passage, starting from verse 13, and then we'll look at a couple of key areas. So today we're going to be discussing something that's a mystery and something that we're encouraged to not be ignorant about. It's called the fullness of the Gentiles. We're going to unlock this ministry. So please stand with me if you're able to. We're going to start reading from Romans 11 at verse 13. Romans 11, verse 13. It says this, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Verse 25, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your holy word. We thank you, Lord, that even as you state, oh, Lord, we have to remember that the grass withers. That's us as people. The flower fades. Beauty is here today and it fades. It's gone tomorrow. But you say the word of our God stands forever. And so these principles that we read right now in your word, they still stand. They'll, they'll exist past our own physical lives. Lord, we thank you so much for your holy word. And Father in heaven, we thank you again that you are the Father of mercies. You're the God of all comfort. Be that merciful God. Be that God of all comfort in our lives. Comfort each and every one of us here. And Father, we ask that you would open up our understanding of your holy word. Teach us. Help us to hear what you want to say to us. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You guys could have a seat if you would. Thank you.
So everybody loves a mystery, right? Everybody loves a mystery. And there are several times in the Bible that God actually tells us what is a mystery, and then he reveals it to you and I. He's going to reveal one of those mysteries to us here today. But throughout the Bible, we do have some where he actually says, this is a mystery. And then as you read it and comprehend it, lo and behold, it's no longer a mystery. So, for instance, and I'm going to share a couple of them with you here on the slides. In 1 Corinthians 15, we learn of the mystery of the rapture of the church. It's mysterious to many. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. You can follow along with me here on the display. Verse 51 and 52, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Can you twinkle your eyes? Like a, a, a blink, right? In the twinkling of an eye. <laughs> At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Again, the mystery of the rapture of the church. Going on, we also see in Second Corinthians, or I'm sorry, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we learn of something that is the mystery of how God restrains lawlessness. He restrains it back as God himself indwells the born-again Christian. He's restraining lawlessness. Here's what it says in 2 Thessalonians verse, or chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the, again, mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he, notice it's uppercase H, speaking of deity, speaking of God, until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So at the moment when the rapture of the church happens, the Holy Spirit who lives and works in and through born-again Christians He's no longer going to be restraining lawlessness back. And then the one that many call Antichrist, quote, will be revealed. If you look at it in a logical sense, that's pretty much what God is showing. But again, it's a mystery, including to many in the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, our sister was good to remind me today, and this is here. Ephesians 5, verse 32, God teaches about marriage. Oh, boy. All you got to do is look at our culture today. This year, it's like I wish someone would chronicle this. This year, what do people in New York City, in the United States of America, what do they say is marriage? Next year, compare notes, it's like we think it's really trash today. Probably going to be worse and worse. Why? We have to find our identity in Christ. Amen? It's in Messiah Jesus. If not, it's in the world, and it's going to keep changing. But God teaches you and I about marriage, and we learn that the mystery of marriage is that marriage is a picture of who and what? Christ and the church. Ephesians 5, verse 32. This is a great mystery. The exact same Greek word is used here that Paul used. Musterion. Mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So now here in Romans chapter 11, we're learning about another, quote, mystery that God is revealing. I'm going to throw it here on the 
screen on the slide on the display. We read this here, Romans 11, verse 25. This is the mystery of Israel's partial blindness and the fullness of the Gentiles. It says here in verse 25, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. It's a mystery, and he wants us to not be not knowing. He wants us to know. So now it's no longer a mystery, God willing. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until, notice it says, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So it's a mystery, but God does not want you and I to be ignorant of this. So the fullness of the Gentiles. This is the primary thing we're going to be talking about today. God has a set number of Gentiles. And can I use the pronoun us? Primarily us Gentiles in the Christian church today around the world. God has a set number of Gentiles. And once that set number of Gentiles, kind of like on the car, right? when it's full, then the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And when that last Gentile gets saved, well, what's going to happen? We believe sometime after that, then the rapture of the church will happen. Then when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, well, we're going to discuss a little bit, not today so much, but after that, what will happen. But we're going to work our way down to that passage in verse 25 of the fullness of the Gentiles. This is what Paul is building up to here. Remember, just a quick recap or overview. Romans chapters 1 through 8 covers great doctrine, great teaching about how to get saved. That through Messiah Jesus, you are justified. It's just if I'd never sinned. All of us are sinners. Romans chapter 3. All of us are sinners. Amen? Try to preach that to the world. Right? All of us are sinners. And when you and I understand these things, doctrinally, getting through chapter 8 is why the, it's a more grand way, superior way to teach and preach throughout the entire Bible, especially books of the Bible, so we can understand the context of the text. And then you get to chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11 of Romans, and what's the primary topic or theme of chapter 9 through 11? Anybody remember? I've been covering this for some weeks. Israel! Okay, God is not specifically talking about so much of individual personal salvation. He's speaking more of the topic of Israel. Okay, So if the love of God, this Romans chapter 8, if God can love you and nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, nothing, no one can separate you from that love, then the thought, even for us Gentiles, is, wait a second, what about all the promises to the Jews? Did you just get rid of them and now you got a new wife? No, that's not the case. He doesn't act like people in the world. What is the case? Well, they're on pause. Israel, the Jews are on pause. Until what? Until the time of the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So as chapter 11 is about to close, it's good for us to know that the primary theme or primary topic that Paul is teaching on in Romans chapters 9, 10, 11 is again, what? Israel. Okay. And we're talking national Israel. And then chapter 12 and on, then that becomes the applicational part of the book. Like we looked at in our servants meeting today. Romans 12 is a great teaching on what? Spiritual gifts. Okay. 
and our calling. So before we all want to just get to the action, the application, but first, God wants to teach us, and then that's chapters 1 through 8, and then chapters 9 through 11, he's still teaching us about the topic of Israel. He's not done with Israel. He still has a plan, a purpose for Israel, but guess what? You and I are in the way. <laughs> okay? We as Gentiles, primarily, we're in this period of time called the fullness of the Gentiles, and it's something that we, it's a mystery, and we should not be ignorant about, so we want to touch this. Now, let's go back into the passage that we looked at. We read in opening verses 13 through 25. I'm going to go and point out a couple of things here. Uh, go to verse 16. Notice this in verse 16. Paul writes, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. The first fruit. The principle of first fruits. Now, this refers to Numbers chapter 15. I'm going to put it on the display. I like how it reads in the old King Jimmy. My friend used to say King Jimmy, the King James Version Bible. This comes from Numbers 15, verses 20 and 21. You shall offer up a cake of the first of your dough for a heave offering, and ye do the heave offering of the threshing floor. So shall you heave it. Of the first of your dough, you shall give unto the Lord a heave offering in your generations. I love that. Give the first of your dough to the Lord. Are you talking about tithing? Yeah. Do you know that this principle is not only found in numbers? So the argument people have of, oh, well, tithing, I'm not under the law. That's legalistic. Anybody hear of that? Oh, that's legalistic, some will say. I've heard, had people tell me that. I've had myself tell me that. Oh, we're not under the law. I don't have to give. Anybody hear of that? Okay, the reality is, yeah, it's not part of the law. Guess what? Tithing was before the law. <laughs> In Genesis, you have Father Abraham giving to Melchizedek of his tithes. Tithe means one-tenth. This is the principle of first fruits. So as we study this, we come upon this, you guys know, I've been here in New York like 21 years. Some of you guys been with us like, you know, I've, I've known some of you guys like 15, 16, 17, 18 years. I don't just, this is not one of those churches where I'm like teaching about, preaching about, giving your money all the time. But when we come across something like this in the text, let me just reveal it to you because we want to be preachers of God's word of truth. So this principle of first fruits, that's the tithe. The first fruit belongs to God. Reality is this. It's not like you're so much giving to God what's already his. What are you talking about? It says to give. So as your pastor and as a preacher of God's word of truth, I want to make sure that you and I know, especially if this is your home church, okay? You need to know. Why? So that you can grow. So that you can mature. Why? Am I just trying to get you to give? No. If you've been with us for a while, some again, some of you guys have been with us like over 10 years. I don't talk about preaching and all, about money and all. It's like we're not, we don't even ask for a single penny. And yet God provides. But the reality is, as a pastor, as your pastor, and as a teacher of God's word of truth, I need to make sure that you're equipped with the totality of God's word so that you can grow and spiritually mature. So the first fruit, that's the tithe. That's the first 10% of what God blesses you with. Here's what he says in Malachi chapter 3. Some of you guys might know this. But if you look at it within context, it's brilliant. Malachi 3 verse 8 through 10 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way? Have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? A lot of people tell you, a lot of Christians, this is how I used to be. Please understand, this is personal to me because I used to be one of those Christians lacking faith, not trusting God, and someone would say, oh, 
when we're talking about the topic or discussion of do you trust God, the first question that pastors would ask me is typically what? Do you tithe? Like, no, I don't give my money. It's not the law. I give my excuses. And right away, that, that person, typically a man, that's a man of God that would just confront me with God's word. It's like, you don't trust God, do you? Yeah, I do. Oh, because one way you can tell is just the way someone spends their money. So the first fruit of the tithe, that's the first 10% of what God blesses you with. This, don't worry, I'm not like trying to harp on you guys. We're looking at this, and God is speaking about that first fruit. So if the first fruit is holy, guess what about the lump, the rest? The rest is holy. So some of you, you're struggling. You're like always chasing money. Why is it that it's so elusive? It's fighting against you. Why? It could be that you're simply Malachi 3, robbing God. It belongs to God. Notice what he says in verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Do you know that what we believe is this is the only place in the Bible where God actually says to try him, to test him. Isn't that interesting? To try him in that what? The tithes. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. You can go and read verses 11 and 12 later on. Okay, So it's the only place it seems like in the Bible where God says to try him and to test him in when it comes to what you and I might call the first fruits, the tithes. That's why you might hear me say even, and it's a principle, you might hear me, if you come the Wednesday morning time, you might hear me say or pray, Lord, we give you of the first fruits of our time. Why do you think it is when you wake up in the morning, you give him the first of your time, he blesses the rest, the lump of the day. Anybody know that? Raise your hand if you experience that. Right? But those of us like, no, nah, I'm going to give you sloppy seconds. I'm going to give you the last of my time. This used to be me. I do my nighttime devotional. I lay in bed. Like this? Yeah. And you wake up, you're like, oh, sorry, Lord, I got slobber on my Bible. That used to be me. I was living in Orange County, California. Why? Because I had other things that are more important to do. And God would greatly convict my heart. So the principle of first fruits, and I'm not talking about just giving money, but what does God bless you with? How do you utilize your time, your talents, your treasure? Okay. Let's, let's go back to this, though. Okay, let's... Let's come back to Romans chapter 11. I just want to touch upon that because, again, I love you guys. I want you to spiritually grow and spiritually mature. Okay. If you got questions about this later on, let me know. So now going back here to verses 16 through 24, Paul is going to mention about things like olive trees and about grafting in other branches into this olive tree. And in the analogy that Paul is discussing here with us, we learn things like Israel is the root. Israel is the root. You'll find that in verses 16, 17, and 18. And the cultivated olive tree. Israel's a cultivated olive tree. That's verse 17 and 24. And guess what you and I are as Gentiles? We're the wild olive tree. We're the wild olive tree. That includes me. So that's why I use that pronoun we. Jews are the natural branches. By the way, you'll find that Gentiles are the wild olive tree in verses 17 and 24. Jews are the natural branches. You'll find that in verse 21. They're the natural branch. You and me are the wild olive tree. Anybody know that? Before you came to Christ, your life was wild. I was a nightclub DJ, spinning the wheels, right? 
wild. And I knew God was after me, but I was like, Jonah, you say go this way, I'm going that way. Don't look, God. I was wild olive tree. Praise God. He grafted me. And if you're a born-again Christian, He grafted you into the root. But the root is not Gentile-ish. The root is Israel. So if a root is holy, so are the branches. That's the point of him now mentioning about trees, the cultivated olive tree, which is who again? Israel. And the wild olive tree is who? (laughs) Gentiles. The wild branch, that's us, gets grafted in to the cultivated olive tree. So if the root, Israel, is holy, so are the branches. That's basically, you can go further with that illustration or study that. So Paul's using this as an illustration to say Israel's the root. Born-again Christians that are Gentiles in nature, you and me, predominantly, and even a lot of Jews today, it's like, how Jewish are you? Are you Orthodox? Did you grow up going to synagogue? No, then you're just DNA-ish, kind of Jewish. New York City is full of that. There's a lot of folks. But someone especially that's an Orthodox Jew, grew up at 13, got bar mitzvah. Didn't just do a bar mitzvah when 13, but celebrated that. And now, what's the grand thing about bar mitzvah? Now he can be considered a man and can study Torah with the other men in Orthodox synagogues and continues faithfully week after week on Sabbath to study Torah. Well, those are Jews that there's a partial blindness with them. And Israel as a whole, Israel as a nation, they're the root. We Gentiles, we're the branches. So I I bet some of you are probably like, great, I picked a great Sunday to come here today. (laughs) I'm a wild olive tree. I'm just a branch grafted (laughs) into this crazy thing. So Israel and Judaism, that's the root. We have to remember, Jesus was not a Gentile. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of what? Judah, okay? So Jesus, the Messiah, he's a Jewish Messiah. Even the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Covenant, the Tanakh, that you and I read and study and love, the 39 books of the Old Covenant, the Tanakh, as the Jews call it, they're the Hebrew Scriptures. They're not in English. They're not, I'm Japanese-ish. They're not in Japanese. No other language. Uh, Hebrew and primarily Hebrew uh, and some passages in the Old Testament are Aramaic too. Look at verse 20. It says, Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. Haughty means arrogant. Now, if Christians today, and including some denominations and those of the Reformed variety, we're definitely not Reformed, we're not five-point Calvinists, those that want to do away with Israel, this is a passage that God was prophetically speaking to them. Oh, look, yeah, Israel's done away with, forget them, boycott Israel, divest investments from Israel. Don't put your money in an Israeli bank or Israeli companies. There's some that will claim that today. And sanction them. That's the BDS movement. That the radical left is pioneering and that many Christians are actually embracing. Including many Presbyterian denominations. So sad. So sad. If they would just read their Bibles. And those are the reform variety. If they read their Bibles. Unfortunately when they reform, they didn't reform enough. They're still doing baby baptism. Like, what? That's not even in the Bible. 
Okay, so we don't do that, obviously. We're talking about baptism. Just so you guys know that. When we do baptism, you don't baptize babies. Why do we baptize? Matthew 28, Jesus says, make disciples of all the nations. How do you make disciples? Baptizing them. Can a baby decide to follow Jesus as Messiah, Savior, Lord? A baby can't. Like, mm, yeah, okay. <laughs> they can't do that, right? So do we baptize babies? No. Is that biblical? No. Did Jesus command that? Or the apostles? No. So where does the Catholic Church, even those in Reformed type Christians, where do they get that from? I don't know. Satan. Okay? Because it confuses people. It's a doctrine of demons. Don't baptize babies. Does that count? No. It's not biblical. Okay? So look what he says here. Don't be haughty. It means arrogant. It's literally in the Greek word for haughty or arrogant, high-minded. This is the way that you and I would say it today on the streets. Okay, don't get puffed up. Don't get a big head. That's what he's saying. Now, he's speaking this to Christians. There's some Christian friends that you and I might need to say, look, Romans 11, verse 20. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. They also have to have faith. Jews, just like Gentiles, have to have faith in Jesus being Messiah and Savior for their sins. Jews have to as well. Okay. Don't be haughty. Don't be high-minded. Don't get stuck up. Don't get a big head is what God is saying here. You stand by faith and they don't have faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. Fear what? Not fear the Jews. Not fear Israel as a nation. Fear God. Okay. Don't get a big head. (laughs) All right. So verse 23, another thing I want to point out. Look what it says here. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Wonderful statement. How do you and I get saved? Being a Gentile or a Jew? Well, realizing that Yeshua or Jesus is Messiah, who the Father sent. It's John 3.16, right? God so loved the world because of his love. He sent on a mission to do what? To die on a cross for your sins and mine. Now, believing and receiving that, I need to turn from my sins. Not go, oh yeah, okay, I confess my sin. Let me go back to doing a different kind of sin. Don't look, God. That's not repentance. The Bible speaks of repentance toward God. Okay, So I need to realize, A, I'm a sinner. Romans chapter 3, all of us have sin. Anybody realize that? Any sinners here? Okay. There's a couple sinners here. <laughs> the Bible says all, all right? So all of us have sin. Is Jesus your Savior who died for your sin? He died on the cross. Did he die for your sins? Or is it just some dude named Jesus that died on the cross? Some people think that. No. He's God who left heaven, Son of God, took on your sins as he died on the cross. As scriptures show, was buried, resurrected. So is he your Savior for your sins? If so, turn from your sins. Confess your sins to him. Repent. Turn from your sins. And then what? Follow Him. You're going to turn somewhere to follow someone or something. Social media is all about that. Any of you guys know that? Follow me on. Click, click, click. This and that. The world's full of that. While Jesus, poor Jesus, He's like, follow me. There's still a small voice. And if you know He's preaching to you, a lot of times when I go to follow like a channel, like, oh, there's some great videos. I, uh, I get convicted. Because I hear the voice of my Messiah. Follow me. I'm not saying subscribe to a YouTube channel or not. I'm just saying, will you allow 
Jesus to be your Lord. He's preaching to hearts here. I'm convinced. He's preaching to hearts here, even as he preaches to mine. He wants to be the Lord of your life, not just fire insurance, not just a savior for your sins. Is he the Lord of your life? Okay, so for the Jews today, just like for us Gentiles, God is able to graft them in. How much more? Think about the fact that Jews being a part, a branch from that natural cultivated olive tree, it comes out of their Judaism that Jesus, Yeshua, was prophesied to be the one to come. Found all the way from Torah, from the Old Testament. So if these branches got broken off because they simply didn't have faith, how much more easy will it be for them to be grafted into this natural tree, this cultivated olive tree? And you and I, as clunky as it is, these wild olive trees, you get a branch grafted on, and then that sap from that natural tree can feed and sustain us. So God's using that as an analogy through Paul's pen, his writings here. That was something that was done in the old days in the Bible and still done today, grafting. By the way, supposedly olive trees can can live and be fruitful for hundreds of years. But as time goes on, this, thing, this makes me think of myself, <laughs> as time goes on and as we age, even the olive trees lose its fruitfulness beautiful glorious picture so guess what is needed still today you could have an olive tree that's been fruitful for centuries so they'll take a newer shoot or branch from another tree they graft it in and what can happen with that newer branch it can start becoming fruitful guess what that's an illustration a metaphor a picture of point in the room who that's a picture of (laughs) You and me, okay? So we're the wild branch grafted into the cultivated olive tree. That cultivated olive tree, that's Israel. So don't get stuck up. Don't get a big head. Don't be haughty, but fear. Okay, also, now this is one of the last things I want to discuss here. Look at verse 25 again. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. So it's one of the things that God tells us in the New Testament that is a mystery. And we cover some of them. The rapture is a mystery. Uh, Spiritual gifts. These these things God tells us, hey, don't be ignorant about these things. It's, It's amazing to me how some things are mysteries and then God explains them. It's there in the Bible so they shouldn't be mysterious. And he also says, don't be ignorant about. Let's look at some of these here. Some of these we already discussed. You can look these up, but there are a few times that Paul tells us to not be ignorant. And by the way, this list I'm putting here on the display, I'm, I just exhaust scripture, and you can look at this one word, agnoeo is a Greek word. I think it's Strong's Greek number 50 if you want to look that up in the concordance. Ignorant. There are a couple things that Paul himself tells us to not be ignorant about. I've got a short list of four things here. And wouldn't you know, these are also things that in today's Christian church, especially here in America, many Christians are still ignorant about. It's like, God knows what he's talking about, right? Amen? So notice it says here, spiritual gifts. God doesn't want you and I to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. This is why we wanted to cover this earlier in our servants meeting. 
Roman or First Corinthians 12, verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Okay? Again, the Greek word for ignorant is agnoeo, agnostic. Has anybody here ever been or heard of an agnostic person? Raise your hand. Yeah, maybe that used to be one of you. I don't know. Literally, you know what that means? Ignorant. So the next time someone says to you and you're trying to evangelize, hey, do you know that you're a sinner and Christ Jesus died for your sins? Oh, I'm agnostic. Here's what I hear. I'm ignorant. You might want to let them know. I don't think you want to say what I think you're saying. (laughs) You think you're trying to be proud and arrogantly say, oh, I'm agnostic. Don't even bother. (laughs) I don't care to know. Well, what they're actually saying with that word agnostic is I'm ignorant. That's what the word means. So, 1 Corinthians 12. Regarding spiritual gifts, God doesn't want us to be ignorant. And when Paul's teaching on the rapture of the church, you see here on the list, and describing death, the death of Christians, we're told not to be ignorant. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. So you think this is just Paul's opinion? No. This is what Paul's saying by the word of the Lord. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, guess what the command is in verse 18? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So why do we in Calvary Chapel, why do me, even as a pastor and a friend, a Christian Bible teacher, why do I want to teach and preach about the rapture of the church? One, I'm commanded to. <laughs> and there's also great comfort. First Thessalonians 4, verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Who here wants to stay here and just live on this planet and try to make it better? Thinking that this is it. This is the closest to heaven you'll ever get. And when it gets good enough, it'll usher in the kingdom and then the king will come. Do you know that's actually what some denominations and churches teach right now? It's called that kingdom now, dominion theology type of thought. It's not happening, is it? This world, is, anybody know that especially the last couple of years, this world's getting worse and worse? Okay? So comfort one another with these words. You know this too. The Lord can come back at any moment. We call it imminent. I'm not talking about the second coming of Christ where he literally sets foot on the planet, on earth, first coming is when as recorded in the gospels he came birthed into this earth left heaven was born as a baby through the virgin he li- he born was born sin free lived a sinless life fulfilled torah for the law died on the cross roughly the age 33 buried resurrected ascended into heaven that's the first coming of christ the second coming of christ he's going to set foot on the ground and Zechariah Accords, he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives and what's going to happen? Any prophecy? Anybody love prophecy? I love prophecy. Cabbage obviously love prophecy. Want to know what's going to happen in the future, right? 
Then he's going to set foot on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split. Read it in the book of Zechariah. That has not happened. Revelation 19 is the second coming of Christ. And guess who's going to follow him out of heaven? The armies in heaven. Who is that? Is that angels? No. Who's going to be following him? Us. Who, who goes up? <laughs> I like that. We are. Okay. The armies of heaven. How did we all get there collectively? Totally. If you look at and ask an answer only with what does the Bible say? Not opinion, not some dead saint who ain't nobody else but just the Bible, just God's opinion, the only answer. I've looked. I challenge you, look. Exhaust the totality of the Bible. Only 66 books. What does the Bible teach about how we, the church, collectively, globally, got to be in heaven so that Revelation 19, the second coming of Christ, that we can come back with them? The only answer God gives you and I in the Bible is called the rapture of the church. And I state that emphatically. Why? Because I used to be one of those guys in California. I'm like, dude, you guys get off that pot, man. You guys are crazy. They have, like, some people have like videos. There'd be, um, I used to be an old DJ. There's like record covers of people like going up in heaven. I mean, that's a fanciful thought and all. You see the movies, like the clothes are all neatly folded there when God calls them. Anybody see those movies? I don't know if that's going to be like that or if our clothes are here or they go. But I used to be one of those guys that, because all the funny stuff, and I, you know, I was a pothead when I was younger. I used to tell my friends, like, what? Get off that pot. <laughs> what kind of crack you smoke, you know? That, I used to be like that. And then you read the Bible, because people challenged me. Okay, hot shot, read the Bible. And I did. I wanted to, to dispute and challenge the rapture. I thought it was just stupid. Anybody else think that? And then you read the Bible... And then you're like, oh, either you're a liar, God, which you are not, or you're true. And it's the word of truth. And he says it. It's not just in one obscure passage. It's throughout the New Testament. So God speaks and teaches about this. And he does not want us to be ignorant about the rapture of the church or even death. So what happens after we die? Greatly, these are areas that people still today, including churches, including denominations, many of us, Sadly, there's a great ignorance. Okay. And so what do we, I'm using a plural pronoun collectively, including me, what do we need to do? We need to own it. We need to realize that these are our brothers and sisters. If those that are you know, born again Christians, there are those that we uh, know and love. And yes, maybe they're also saved. Maybe I can learn from them and we can learn from one another. But we need to learn collectively, not what others say, but what the Bible says, what God's opinion is. Amen. And the rapture of the church and what happens after we die is a question that everybody has. Okay, so let's just read and study our Bibles and get to know and then share it. Amen? That's basically it. So the rapture of the church and death is an area of great ignorance. How about unforgiveness? Well, Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul's being used by God to teach about forgiveness. Forgive them. And he mentions this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are, listen, not ignorant of his devices. Do you know that God does not want you to be ignorant about unforgiveness and forgiveness? And how many of us know we still struggle? You've been Christian maybe years, and you still struggle with forgiveness. That any of you? That You know, that's a lot of Christians that I end up talking to. That's even me at times. I'm like, God spank me slap me <laughs> you know it's like you're gonna go through this help me to be the forgiver 
Help me to be like you. You say in Ephesians, I think it's 4.32 as well as Colossians, I've been forgiven, and what does he command me to do? I must forgive. So we love receiving, but we hate giving, right? I want to get your love, your grace, your mercy. And God's like, that's nice. I forgave you. Now what? Oh, I love you, Lord. Now forgive that. No. (laughs) So we need to understand that it's one of the devices of Satan. You can read about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I think it's up here on the display. Yes. Okay. Don't be ignorant about unforgiveness. Don't be ignorant about Satan's devices. And if that's, I want to say at this junction, if that's where someone's at, my guess is, and you could pretty much safely bet, just statistically, that's probably at least 10% of you guys here, that someone's really struggling with the issue of forgiving. If that's you, pray, repent. Repent hard toward God. Receive His love, His forgiveness. Ask Him for the strength to forgive others. And I, I've been there. Okay, we all kind of get there. Okay, but don't stay stuck there. Why? Because you're in bondage. How many of you know unforgiveness? Man, that's like a hell that you live on earth. Especially the Christian that's been forgiven. You know what to do. And the Holy Spirit's like greatly convicting your heart. You read your Bible, Lord, speak to me. And he's like, no, forgive. No, no, talk to me. What do you want me to do today? I'm going to serve you. I want to walk with you. Come on, rock on. Let's get going, God. And he's like, no, you forgive. No, no, come on, something else, something else. And you're like, and then you come to prayer. How come I can't hear from God? And God's like, duh. <laughs> I've been talking to you. I want you to forgive. This is why he commands us. By the way, in the New Testament, have you realized the things that are so easy to do that you do not need God to do, they're not commands. That's why he commands you to love one another. He commands you to forgive. Please figure that out. It's impossible for you and I to do except for the grace, the power, the mercy of God. And what does that mean? That means you need to cry out to Him to obey His command. Any of you know that? He commands you to do that. And he designs it within your relationship with Him that in order for you to fulfill His word, like James says, be a doer of the word, you must cry out to Him. If you do and you comply, guess what that's called? Spiritual growth. Maturity. If you don't, backslide. That's basically it. Okay, so go the route of Christ. Don't just receive his forgiveness, be a forgiver. Amen? And we need to keep preaching this to one another. So unforgiveness is Satan's device. Okay, don't don't stay there in bondage. And also, as we're getting at here in Romans eleven, verse twenty five, this is something that God does not want us to be ignorant of. Again, Romans 11, look at verse 25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. It's a mystery. So we need to read this, study this, know this, preach this, understand this. It's a mystery, and he doesn't want us to be ignorant about it. Hopefully, my hope and prayer is that someone here, at least one person, that's you, amen, come up and give me a high five or a hug or a handshake. I hope in prayer is at least one, if not some of you, or maybe all, God willing, that after today, you can at least be a little more aware and not ignorant, but in the place of, oh, I do know this now more. I know where it is in the Bible. And yes, there is a partial blindness, a spiritual blindness for Israel, for Jews, but it's only until, look at this, the time of the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So God wants you to be in the know. 
And if, if you're realizing that today, praise God. You're the one I've been praying for. Or the ones. So you and I need to be paying attention because these are some of the big issues. Amazing how this is. These are some of the big issues that many of us in the church still struggle with to know, to understand, to preach, to teach, and to share. Okay. Christians are still very ignorant about these things, about spiritual gifts, about the rapture, about death, like what happens after we die, about unforgiveness, about Israel's blindness and the fullness of the Gentiles. Okay, so let's be in the know. So when it comes to the fullness of the Gentiles, I'm, I'm just going to wrap up here and end. When it comes to the fullness of the Gentiles, again, God has a set number of us Gentiles. What is that number? I don't know. And if any of you are so crazy to try to come up with a number, I'll tell you, I'll warn you, don't do it. Because <laughs> it's not biblical. And as soon as you know that someone says, a number is this, blah, 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 what do you know about that supposed number? It ain't it. Okay? It's fake. Because it's not biblical. Just like someone trying to predict the rapture. They tend to do it and they die. Don't be a date setter. We don't know when it will happen. We just know that the rapture of the church is imminent. It could happen at any minute, any moment. But God does have a set number of Gentiles that he wants to get saved. Then the fullness of the Gentiles is when that set number of Gentiles becomes full. And then what we believe is then, like we looked at in Second Thessalonians, then when you and I, through whom the Holy Spirit indwells and is holding back, this lawlessness, restraining the lawlessness, when he's taken out of the way, it goes back to, we might say, an Old Testament style of the Holy Spirit's work. And if you remember those passages like David would mention or about Saul in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon them and then leave. Listen to the preposition. Holy Spirit would come upon them but then leave. And someone like David would even write, singing, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Why did he write that? Why did he say that? Because he knew and probably felt the, the presence, the heaviness, the weightiness of God himself, his anointing upon him, even makes him a warrior, a worshiper. And then what? God's Spirit, God's presence leaving. We read about that even of his predecessor, King Saul, where God's Spirit, his presence would come upon and then leave. What about today? This side of the cross. The time you and I live in. As born again spiritual Christians. This is the time prophesied of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That God himself comes to indwell you and I. You read about this in John's Gospel. Where Jesus himself mentions not just the Spirit. But all three. Father, Son and Spirit. Come to live, abide, reside, dwell in you. This is why when you and I get saved, and it's like he supersizes it. He doesn't just give you eternal salvation. He comes to live within you here and now. And then now you get saved and you're like, man, it feels like I'm hearing voices. I used to be a DJ with some really trashy records. I'm telling like I had thousands of records. And a lot of them after getting saved, not right after, but sometime after, I'd be in a club. I'm like, I can't play that stuff anymore. People come up and request it, trying to like even hand me money. I'm like... I, I can't do that. I had to quit that job and really move far away from it. Who told me that? Is that in the Bible? Thou shalt not play trashy music? No. 
It's the Holy Spirit who was living within me. He was trying to change and transform me and use my life for godliness and convicted me of what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And if you know that he's still doing that in our hearts? So imagine he lives within the born-again Christian. He's preaching to your heart. You're sleeping. He's maybe visiting you in your dreams. You're like trying to be like Jonah, running away. He's not external now in the New Testament. He's internal. Good luck, because you can't run away from God. Jonah tried. That's Old Testament style. Look at it now. New Testament, God's living within you. This is why some of us, we get saved, and shortly after salvation, like it's like I'm hearing voices. It's like I feel like I'm going crazy. Is that any of you? Raise your hand if that's any of you. Okay? Because you probably thought, oh, I'm weird. I'm hearing voices. You share that with some of your friends, especially immature Christians or those of the variety, ah, God can't speak today. And they're like, yeah, you are crazy. God ain't speaking. You're like, oh, I guess it was. Maybe it was the meatloaf I ate. <laughs> I don't know. But you get saved. God comes to live within you. What are you going to do? Tell him to shut up? No. That's in John's Gospel. He comes to live within you. Father, Son, and Spirit. And even in John's Gospel, John chapter 10, the sheep-shepherd relationship, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. What does he say? My sheep hear my voice. It says three things about hearing the voice of Jesus. Your good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. What else does he say? My sheep know my voice. Get to know the voice of Jesus. And they do not know the voice of strangers. So many Christians are caught up in such worldliness, they don't even know they're listening to Satan. And because some Christian, you know, Satan can quote scripture, can't he? Because some Christian convinces people, they think, oh, it must be of God. It could be a strange voice. Listen, that, that wasn't just here today. In the time of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, there's false prophets that came on the scene. If you read that book, like, that's crazy. There's guys that came out. Hananiah, the false prophet in the time of Jeremiah. He came out like, Thus saith the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar, I'm paraphrasing. Nebuchadnezzar from North, he's going to come back and restore the items of the temple. He's saying like, Thus saith the Lord. God says it. And Hananiah, or Jeremiah comes on the scene. Amen. May the Lord prove your words or something like that. And then later on, he's like, Listen now, Hananiah. God has not sent you. And then you track it about 30 days later, Hananiah the false prophet dies. Jeremiah lives on. That's just an Old Testament kind of analogy of what is all over. This is all over New York City. Anybody know that? There's a lot of false prophets, false teachers. And they call themselves pastor. It's like, okay, be a shepherd to the sheep. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He didn't say fleece my flock. He didn't say rip them off. That's common today, isn't it? Very easy to find in New York City. How about finding a church that teaches through the entire Bible without man-made doctrine? Why? Because that person loves Jesus. John 21, like Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Does it come down to that? Yeah. Do they love Messiah or do they love money? Tell that to the false preachers out there and look at their response. That'll let you know who they're following. We've got to be careful. So God has a set number of Gentiles that he wants to get saved. Somewhere in the world, there's a Gentile. Maybe that person's living right now. <laughs> Somewhere in the world, I have hope that that person's living today. <laughs> Get that person saved. This is the impetus, the motivation for things like missions, for outreach, for evangelism, whether it's we, us doing it here on the sidewalk or you going out and sharing. Maybe you're handing a tract. You're sharing the good news of salvation through Jesus. 
at your workplace or wherever you are in your family, with your neighbors and friends. There's that one last Gentile. Let's please stand and we're going to close with a word of prayer. But if that's you, <laughs> that's someone here. I don't know everybody. There's some new folks here. If that's you, if you're that last Gentile that needs to get saved, please pray, confess your sins to the Lord, accept Him as a Savior of your life, repent from your sins, do us a huge favor <laughs> and do that. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for what you show us. These things, Lord, that are mysteries, even to the body of Christ, God. You yet declare in your word. You don't want us to be ignorant of these things. You want to reveal the, what these things are. And now they're no longer mysteries. They are still mysterious to us, whether it's the rapture of the church or even the fullness of the Gentiles, Lord. We don't know how it works. You don't tell us to figure it out. You just want us to have faith. And so help us, Lord. Help our areas of unbelief. And again, Father, we pray to you as a Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Please comfort the hearts that are here. Lord, as we leave this place, help us to leave as missionaries. Help us to be empowered by you. Lord, we pray that as we feasted on your word, that you would teach us more and more of who you are, your plan for us, and even how you want us to preach to Jew and Gentile. But we ask for your empowerment to your Father. We can't do these things on our own. We can't do it in our flesh. If we do, we'll be like Abraham and Sarah making an Ishmael, a child of the flesh. Just going to cause problems, God. But we want to wait upon you that you would empower us to renew our strength. Because soar like eagles, Lord. Help us. Send the helper. Empower us for your glory. For we ask and pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you guys.